rocketed from a distant planet to a bold new destiny on Earth. Found by a Kansas family and raised as Clark Kent, he learned he possessed the strength of steel, the speed of light, and the desire to help all mankind. He is Superboy. Everybody. Welcome to episode 198 of the Man of Stream podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, be my fourth covering of season four of the Salt Kind Produced Adventures of Superboy. And I've got my second two parter of the season the uh, Lex Luthor story, Know Thine Enemy, parts one and two. And uh, this story is going to, to delve into the origin of Lex Luthor, which is steeped in DC Comics lore of the time, and it is going to introduce, uh, for the first time in on television at all, I believe, uh, Lex Luthor's younger sister, Lena Luthor. So we have that to look forward to. But before I get to that, I have some feedback to address. I have a couple of pieces of uh, feedback, uh, the first of which is from Dave McElvenny. Dave's writing in on Man of Screen, episode 187, and Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I like Superboy Lost better than special effects. Mainly, I think, because of its connection to the George Reeves episode, Panic in the Sky. I want to mention that if you or your listeners would like to hear a comparison of live-action versions of Panic in the Sky, Superboy Lost, and All Shook Up from Lois and Clark in a single podcast episode, they should check out episode 42, Superman vs. Asteroids, of Charlie Niemeyer's podcast, Charlie's Geekcast. I'd also like to mention that Panic in the Sky was based on a comic book story, The Menace from the Stars, and World's Finest number 68, covered date of January, February 1954, which was probably on the stands when that TV episode aired in December of 1953. Talk about media synergy. This Superboy version was decent, but not exceptional, without the feeling of pressure of the George Reeves version. Obviously, though, the underlying story of Superman and Superboy with amnesia, facing a situation that requires him to regain his memory and use his powers, is a tempting well for writers. Special effects is, for me, the lesser of... The two stories with not much memorable about it. With the possible exception of the brief reappearance of Andy McAllister, I saw some parallels between Lana and Clark feeling undervalued at the Bureau for extra normal matters because of youth and inexperience and the kid who wasn't being taken seriously by Lana and Clark because he was just a kid. I am a bit curious, though, about what sort of report Clark and Lana wrote for the BEM and whether the Bureau ever followed up on that dimensional portal. Was it closed permanently? Should the Bureau consider whether to try to reopen it for further study? Do they actually care? I also liked your suggestion that there may have been an unmentioned time jump between seasons two and three. That would make some sense, I think. Thanks as always. Live long and prosper. Dave McElvenny. Well, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. Uh, yes, uh, I did listen to that uh, episode of uh, Charlie's Geek Cast, and I will put a link to that in the uh, show notes. Uh along with a half-hearted request to Charlie to send my cutover of the downloads from this point forward. <laughs> of the three, and I'll talk more about All Shook Up in a few months when I cover Lois and Clark. Of the three, this one definitely occupies the bottom rung, with uh, All Shook Up from Lois and Clark in the middle, and of course, nobody touches Panic in the Sky. I mean, the problem with this one is 
that once Superboy destroys the asteroid in the beginning of the episode, that's done. And I believe I talked about this when I covered the episode. He could have stayed in that forest for six months, one year, or five years, and it wouldn't have mattered because the threat of the asteroid was neutralized already. So there was really no feeling of urgency other than the threat to Marissa and Jeremy. I mean, Lois and Clark is an inferior version of the story, but the one thing it did do that I liked is that it had that countdown clock, which uh, told us how much time we had for Superman to regain his memory. And I'll talk about more when I cover that episode. That's Of the three, though, that one has seems to have the most urgency. After uh, In Panic in the Sky, after Superman, quote-unquote, sidetracks the asteroid, the threat that the asteroid represents to the Earth is kind of nebulous after that in Panic in the Sky. Until the end when Superman is back and the threat is imminent again. But, you know, it's just really not a lot for me to say to respond to this letter. But they've heard, yeah, him losing his powers is a tempting well for writers. And comics and TV writers alike have explored that well. Some better than others. I've never, I've personally never read the Menace from the Stars story in World's Finest number 68. Perhaps I should check it out. And I probably will at some point. One of these days when I get to it. And as far as special effects, it is definitely the lesser of the two, of the stories. I mean, it's not a great story to begin with. I'm not a huge fan of the Universal Monster movies. But, yeah, I was never really that curious about what kind of report they, they wrote for the Bureau because I am going to bet that the Bureau did not follow up on it when Dave write, when Dave asks, do they actually care? I am willing to bet that one... C. Dennis Jackson doesn't care in the least. I mean, what makes this episode stand out is the return of Andy McAllister. You know, they always have that in a lot of shows where they have that one episode where a star that left, you know, a regular that left the show comes back for an episode. And some of those episodes are memorable for that reason. And again, this episode was one that was highlighted early on in that season for me because Andy comes back. But beyond the return of Andy McAllister, there's nothing really special about this episode. So, And as far as uh, Lana and Clark feeling undervalued at the Bureau, you know, again, they're interns. Most, I think they're interns. If they're not interns, they're low-level employees. I mean, it doesn't seem like anybody other than Matt actually does anything, but uh, they have a very specific role. And I guess it's Lana wanting to act outside the purview of that role that makes them feel undervalued. but. You know, true, the intention of internships is to get, you know, the college student experience. But unfortunately, it's uh, one of those problems where most uh, a lot of businesses just tend to use it as free labor. So it's a problem with the system. So thank you, Dave, for writing in. I do have one more bit of feedback. Uh, This is an Apple podcast review, which it was almost surprising because it's been a while since I've got one. This one showed up on January 13th, and this is also my first international review as well. It is from the uh, good old land to the north of us, Canada, and this is from Gord Tolton. Gord is the uh, host of the podcast that I'm going to play in the next, uh, when I take a break. It's uh, I'm kind of Western thing. The name has escaped me off the top of my head. Anyway, uh, Gord writes, his subject is, or title rather, is comprehensive and workmanlike. I'm going to take uh, workmanlike as a compliment. You know, sometimes you say something is workmanlike and just say that it's, you know, it's average. And uh, I'm not saying uh, 
what I do is great, but I guess I'm slow and steady. I'm not, I'm not flashy. I guess uh, that's uh, one way to put it. I mean, in a couple of episodes, I'm barely going to acknowledge that it's my 200th episode. I have no special plans for it. So anyway, uh, Gord writes in his review. It was a five-star review, so thank you, Gord. And Gord writes, Mike Zumo has set out a quest to document and review every appearance of the character of Superman on film, animation, and television. It's a daunting task, but Mike has come an amazing way in logging details and in chronological order. Look for frank reviews, occasional guests from the podcast world, and even a few holiday surprises now and again. Best of all, Mike is a model of regularity, and his show only seems to take breaks in order that he may get ahead. A great and thorough production. Well, uh, thank you, Gord, for your uh, kind words. And Gord's last sentence there, that's not entire, entirely true, uh, that I take breaks in order to... Uh, in order to get ahead, although it helps, you know, getting ahead uh, is absolutely key to a podcast like this one, because if you're recording and editing a weekly show, the week the episode comes out, it's just not going to be a pleasant experience. And it's stressful. And I don't feel like every night I have to work on the podcast, although I try to, you know, just do a little bit every night just to, so I don't you know fall behind. I mean, as far as how ahead I am, the uh, I have feedback from Dave McElvenny about 11 episodes ahead of uh, where I am. Sometimes I fall behind on recording and that happens. But I try to stay 11 weeks ahead of where the show is. For example, here I am recording. I'm about 10 weeks ahead right now. I'm recording episode 198 right here. And I believe I'm dropping episode 188 on Tuesday in about two days from now. Well, three days from now. I think today's Saturday, I think. <laughs> well, at least it will be for another 55 minutes. But uh, anyway, I'm rambling. <laughs> and I'm going to have to edit this. So let's uh, just thank Gord for writing in. And the only other thing I want to say on breaks is sometimes it's been because of life. And I do like to take uh, breaks after I finish a segment of the show. Like I'm going to take a few months off after I finish Superboy just to, uh, you know, recharge the batteries, prepare for Lois and Clark and what's ahead. And yes, at the beginning, the quest was to document and interview every appearance of the of Superman on film, animation, television. I don't think I'm going to get that far, especially with uh, Superman and Lois coming out soon, because actually may even be out by the time this episode comes out, because let's just say I do have an end point in mind. And that's really all I'm going to say at this point. So that being said, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo when I come back. Know Thine Enemy, Part 1. You're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders vigilante podcast. Is an exploration of the DC Comics character, the first superhero to use the name of the vigilante. First published in Action Comics 42 in September 1941, amid comics' golden age and carried as a continuous feature, during those years, the Vigilante was also a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory and was one of the first DC heroes to appear on the cinema screen in his own serial. Reappearing in the Bronze Age, the Vigilante had a 1970s renaissance throughout the DC Universe. Greg Saunders, the Prairie Troubadour, leads a double life as a modern country and western musician while also delivering justice throughout North America as a masked crime fighter using the tactics and weapons of his rural Wyoming upbringing with his friends Billy Gunn and Stuff Leong, many a nefarious scheme was foiled with six guns, ingenuity, a motorcycle, and a twirling lariat. 
Howdy, I'm Ranger Gord. Help me follow the trail of the Vigilante on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start this episode off with Know Thine Enemy, Part 1. Original broadcast date was November 17th, 1991. Directed by Brian Spicer. Written by J.M. DeMatteis, a well-known comics writer responsible for a lot of work in the uh, JLI era of the Justice League. And I believe he also uh, wrote a bunch of Star Trek comics and novels. So J.M. DeMatteis has been around. Guest cast includes Sherman Howard as Lex Luthor, Tracy Roberts as Darla, Jennifer Hawkins as Young Lena, Kathy Gustafson Hilton as Lex's mother, Edgar Allan Poe IV as Lex's father, Ryan Porter as the bully. And our synopsis is brought to you by Wikipedia. Because when I was putting my document together, TV.com didn't have the episode guide anymore from where I uh, grabbed my synopses. And that was kind of disappointing with uh, so few episodes left to go. I don't really want to have to write these things, personally. So anyway, my synopsis is as follows. Lex Luthor has plans to bring about the end of the world by detonating a network of dirty bombs that will wipe out the population with a cloud of radiation. Well, cancel the life insurance, folks, because in six hours, you're all going to be dead. <laughs> That's right. Six. Count them. Six hours. You see, your Uncle Lex just put the finishing touches on a nationwide network of nuclear devices, as they say in the bomb biz. So big, so powerful, makes a Pentagon warhead look like a cherry bomb. And guess what, folks? I'm going to set the first one off right here in Capital City. Bing, bang, boom, in the blink of an eye, you're all going to be nuclear waste. But not just you, friends and neighbors. No, 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 no. This is what you call your dirty bomb. That means the radioactive fallout from this rock and roll party is going to create a gigantic cloud of death that will drift round the globe and exterminate all life on planet Earth. Get the picture? Enjoy your final hours. I know I will. Lex, you forgot to tell them what you want. What? Your demands. Demands? You know, what they have to do so you won't set off the bombs. Don't have any demands. Just gonna do it. Wake up and smell the coffee, babe. This is the last day of the rest of your life. <laughs> and he has a plan to get Superboy out of the way as well. Superboy is drawn to an old layer of Luthor's by a hypersonic signal. There he finds that Lana has followed him and they discover a computer program. So are you gonna help me down or what? Any sign of Luther? Looks like Luther hasn't been here for months. You shouldn't have followed me here. Look, if the world's gonna end in a few hours, I wanna be with you when we go. The world isn't going to end. It's like doomsday out there already. The streets are clogged with cars. 
People are crawling all over each other just to get out before the bomb hits. If Luther does as he says... Look, I know Luther's sick, but I don't think he's capable of doing something like this. Can we ever really know what another person is capable of? Look. The life and times of Lex Luthor. It's a computer disc. Well, let's see. Genesis, progress report, phase one complete. All of Luther's memories have been transferred to Psycho Disc. Phase two, after numerous attempts, remains a failure. The project, however, will continue until... This disc contains Luther's memories. And that must be the playback device. What are you doing? Remember what you said? That none of us can ever know? Exactly what another person is truly capable of. This could tell us. It could be a trap. Knowing Luther probably is a trap. It'll be all right. Superboy activates the program and becomes Luthor in the VR world. He sees how Luthor lived with an abusive father and a mother who refused to stand up for herself. Come on, Lex. Dinner's on the table. You know how mad Dad gets when you're late. Lex, but I'm not the machine. I must be living Luther's memory. Come on. You're late genius. Keeping you after school so they can give you more tests. Tests? They're not giving him any more tests. Isn't that right? They say you're just a normal kid, like everyone else. Still in grammar school and already you think you're better than everybody. But you're not. You're just a dummy. Don't say that. Lex will go to college. He'll make a sh Shut up! You think money's some magic pill that's gonna make everything better? He's your ticket, Eddie. Just because those big shots say you're so smart don't make you better than your old man. You hear me? Lex never said he was better than- I am not talking to you, Lena! Leave her alone! You want her beaten? Fine. The only person Luther ever loved was his sister, Lena. Meanwhile, back in the real world, your injuries are minor. The electronic field is for protection, not harm. How do I turn off that machine? Access denied. Why the hell did Luther create this thing anyway? The psycho disc was created to transfer Luther's consciousness to an android host. So that's space too? But he's not an android. And there will be no transfer of consciousness. However, if disconnect is not achieved in 10 minutes, 
The subject will have absorbed all the information on the disk. Which means? He will be trapped forever in a loop of Luther's memories. How do I turn it off? Come on! How do I break the link? Access denied. Warning. You are at risk. There is no guarantee that you will re-emerge from Luther's memories. Shut up. <laughs> Lana becomes a part of the program herself, hoping to rescue Superboy. Back at his new lair, Luthor reveals android duplicates of himself and Lena. My exact duplicate. My crowning achievement. He can do what even Superboy can't. Survive. All my memories, all my thoughts, all my feelings, all that I am will live on. In him. Can you do that for me? I could. But I won't. My partnership in eternity is reserved for... My little Lena. She's not exactly your type. My sister, you cow! She's programmed with everything I remember of Lena. Everything we shared. She's so angelic. We'll live happily ever after. Together. Just the two of us. For all eternity. Luthor then activates the countdown on his death bomb. Rex, honey, you can't do this to me. After all that I've done for you, all that I've given you. Detonation in one hour, 20 minutes. C'est la vie. That's French, in case you didn't know. Alright, so, this is probably one of the darker Lex Luthor stories we've seen in this show, and it's probably one of the darker episodes this side of Rebirth, but it does that thing where while the circumstances around Superboy are bleak and dark, Superboy is not. He is still the shining light through through the darkness. So, this episode starts at 6am and Lex Luthor is on the airwaves. At first, I thought, when I saw the alarm clock, I thought it was Clark at first, but, and I was kind of waiting for him to smash the clock by accident, but it's not, it's Lana. She's getting up at 6 a.m., and everyone is going to be dead in six hours. So, basically by lunchtime. Because somehow, Luthor has put together a nationwide network of nuclear bombs from his underground headquarters. And it's a dirty bomb, and he's going to send radiation all over the planet. I guess I'm just supposed to believe Luthor built dirty bombs in his underground lair. And somehow planted enough to destroy the planet. I guess that's just kind of, you know, you never see any kind of organization other than him and Lo- and Darla. So I guess that's just one of those things we have to roll with. And this doesn't really sound like a Lex Luthor plot. And uh, Darla kind of reminded Luthor to give 
his demands, uh, you know, what they need to do to stop him from detonating the bombs, but he has no demands, and he's gleeful about his impending destruction of the world. I mean, I talked about this last week about villains wanting to, to destroy the world. Why? They have to live here, too. What possible benefit could there be to destroying the world? But that question is going to be answered at another time. So Superboy is lured to Lex's lair, and this is an interesting shot, as the landing is shot from below, which I never need to see, uh, you know, Superboy or Superman landing from below ever again. You know, basically an up cape shot. I have no interest in seeing the bottom of his feet or an underground view of his codpiece. And then as he lands, the camera kind of introduces him from his feet up, which would make sense if this was the first time we ever saw him. But we're halfway through season four here, guys. We don't need that kind of introduction. So Superboy comes in, finds a secret entrance, and goes right in and finds the robot, which is strong enough to choke him, at least for a minute as uh, Superboy goes all Chewbacca and rips off its arm and throws it to the side. And uh, for some reason, Lana has tagged along and uh, followed him down into the hole. I'm not sure how she followed him so quickly, but if the world is going to end, she wants to spend her final hours with him. Why not? If the world was going to end, I'd want to spend my time around that indestructible person as well. So Lana's scared, but Superboy doesn't think Luthor is capable of going this far. And honestly, without knowing what comes later, I mean, I hadn't seen this episode since 1991, so I don't disagree with his assessment. I think destroying the world is far outside the scope of what Lex Luthor wants to achieve. We saw that in Darla Goes Ballistic. He worked with Superboy to create the serum so Darla didn't destroy the world. And so Darla wasn't as smart as he was. But but there's a little bit of ego there as well. So Lana and Superboy find the computer disc and are going to play it on the computer. And it's called Lex's Psycho Disc. Yeah, just based on that name alone makes me not want to go into this disc. And, uh... Superboy is curious about maybe this just can tell us why uh, Luthor does the things he does, why he is the way he is. Lana is the only one thinking clearly, and uh, she thinks it's a trap, and uh, and there it is. Of course, it's a trap, but, you know, Superboy is willing to risk it to uh, learn something. Darla, meanwhile, is still concerned that Lex isn't going to uh, destroy the world, and she's asking questions about the disc, and apparently Lex doesn't believe that she can understand the answers to his questions. I'm betting she can. I mean, I know this show plays fast and loose with its own continuity and there's very little reference to other episodes except for when there is you know they might refer to events or have a clip show at some point but the characters are never really going to develop organically the way they would today on a on a show so the events of darla goes ballistic don't necessarily have any bearing on what's happening here but she is still concerned that, that Lex isn't going to destroy the world. And and since, you know, the characters don't develop, we don't know if uh, Darla still got some intelligence or powers left over from Darla Goes Ballistic. We go into the VR world. Superboy is inhabiting Lex's memories. And he gets to uh, play the role of Lex here. Uh, he's disoriented at first, but you're going to see his disorientation kind of fade away the longer he stays in the program. It appears that time in the program is moving faster than it is in the real world. So here is his younger sister, and this is clearly not a happy family. And apparently uh, Lex was giving was given tests at school because, you know, they don't they don't really make it clear why Lex is being tested. His parents keep saying, at least his father does, that Lex thinks he's a genius, so maybe they're testing him to see if he needs to see grades or something. It's really not clear. But his mother is very mousy and uh, homely, Why? while his father, played by Edgar Allan the 
Poe the Fourth looks very creepy. Kind of how you expect uh, somebody with that name to look based on what the original Edgar Allan Poe has written in books and whatnot. It's funny, though, that I can find no indication of how, of when or if uh, Edgar Allan Poe the Fourth is actually related to Edgar Allan Poe, but that's not something that I'm going to uh, litigate here. Lex's father is not named Lionel here. That's something Smallville started. And since Superboy is uh, leaving, is living Lex's memories, when he gets whacked by Lex's father, he starts bleeding. And I'm looking at this device on Superboy's head. It looks rather familiar. I feel like I've seen it before somewhere. It looks like a stethoscope, but instead of going in his ear, in his ears, it's on Superboy's temples. It looks like something you see on Star Trek or something, but I don't know. I feel like I've seen this before on Superboy. I'm just not placing it. So again, uh, and this is a kind of a thread running through the entire episode, is that Darla thinks Lex is playing some kind of gambit to secure money from the government, but he doesn't seem to care about that. So Superboy is continuing to inhabit Lex's memories, and as, like I said, as he goes, he's more comfortable in Lex's shoes, and he's actually becoming Lex. He think he's, he's going to get to a point where he thinks he's Lex Luthor. And Lex was plotting to get away with his sister, but after uh, this discussion in uh, the bedroom, Lex gets his ass whooped again because he's trying to help Lena. And now Superboy is crying on the outside. Uh, Lana tries to save him, but she gets zapped and uh, Superboy says the sister's name. Her name is Lena. So now there's a deadline. There's 10 minutes to go. If Superboy doesn't get out, they'll be stuck in Luthor's memories for all time. Not a pleasant sight. And the machine tells her everything she needs to know other than how to save Superboy. It'll tease Lana almost, but as soon as it comes time to give it to, give her some useful information, it'll say access denied or something like that, and, you know, it just messes with it the way Luthor would. And basically, the machine looks like Luthor. It's, uh, you know, this blue, uh, looks like an electrical field. It's, it's Lex's head in kind of in that blue field, like that disembodied head that you would see from Power Rangers or, or something. They don't have to work too hard to make it look animated, though, because it's some kind of projection, so... A little bit of animation is okay with uh, with it. Even Lex's machine is smug. And apparently the disc was made to download Lex into an android body. But at least Superboy won't become Luthor. He'll probably uh, just end up uh, in a vegetative state in uh, the underground bunker here. So this episode is continuing to go on. Darla is getting even more agitated. And I don't blame her. Lex is just stringing her along and she's scared for her life here. He tells Darla that she doesn't really know him and then denies his love for Darla, telling her the only person he ever loved died last week. It's hard to tell from that photo, but I'm guessing that's Lena. And we're learning uh, that apparently Lena's death has driven Lex to not caring what happens to the world. And, And Lex is figuring that if he's going to leave the world, well, he's got to take everybody with him because that's just the way. Lex Luthor, thanks. The next memory is Luthor getting angry at his mother for not doing anything, and Lex takes her to task for it, which is something he, he should do, but it's not going to turn out very well for him. So, Lex thinks Superboy won't survive Lex's Holocaust. I'm, I'm guessing that must mean he laced the nuclear device with kryptonite, because overall, Superboy can survive a nuclear explosion. And now Darla is still worried, but she takes solace in the belief that they'll survive, but nope. Lex dashes that dream, too. Tells Darla that they're at ground zero and he, and will die first. So, Lex's plan is to download everything that he is into this android duplicate. 
which means he must have downloaded the psycho disc into the android and there's another android of lena as a child and that's programmed with what he remembers of lena at this point it's clear that lex needs an intervention i mean this is obsession i mean he even created an android of his sister as a child I mean, I guess he's never seen her as an adult, so he doesn't have that reference to go by. And especially the way he seems to fawn over the android Lena. You know, there's definitely something in his mind that will only see Lena as a child that needs protecting. But here's the thing. Even if the android has all of its Lex's memories, it still will not be Lex. Lex Luthor will not survive this. Just kind of this robotic echo. He's not planning a transfer of consciousness. He's just downloading his memories into a machine, something that will act like him, but will not truly be him. Remember that for part two. And obviously the same thing with Lena. So I'm not sure what Lex is hoping to accomplish here, to be quite honest. And how do we know these androids aren't going to disintegrate in the nuclear holocaust that's coming? So here's what we know about what happens to Lex's parents. He blows them up. And Gerard Christopher must be enjoying the hell out of him getting the opportunity to play this. I mean, he looks like he is, and... This seems like a very post-crisis origin for Lex Luthor. And I think this is out of that Lex Luthor autobiography comic, the edition that came out in uh, the late 1980s. You know, the cover, the one with the cover that looks like Donald Trump, the art of a deal. And I'm like, God, I mentioned Donald Trump on this podcast. Anyway, Lex took out a life insurance policy like he did in the comics, killed them, and that's how he built his fortune in the comics. I guess he didn't build as much of a fortune off the life insurance policy. And, uh... I don't know if he said it, if he gave any of the money to Lena, but he definitely uh, took care of it himself. So now uh, Darla's going to try a new tactic. She's going to show uh, Lex some affection, and uh, maybe that will help him uh, turn the uh, nuclear bombs off. Well, Lex responds by starting the countdown. One hour to detonation to be continued. A good start. This is the most that we will ever get from this show on Lex Luthor's origin, and it's all we need. He'll always be a killer, he'll always be a monster, but I do like that even Lex Luthor has this one person that he loves unconditionally, but it's his sister. And even his sister couldn't keep him from going down the path that he did. I guess the moral of the story is even monsters uh, can love, and we're going to find what Lena thinks of him in the next part. So let me take another quick break, play another promo. When I come back, Know Thine Enemy, part two. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. Because you demanded it. It's Treasury Cast, a podcast devoted to the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. DC, Marvel, Archie, IDW, and more, bigger than life. It's the Treasury Cast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on fireandwaterpodcast.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish this off with No Thine Enemy, Part 2. Original broadcast date was November 24th, 1991. Same writing and directing team, directed by Brian Spicer and written by J.M. DeMatteis. Guest cast includes Sherman Howard as Lex Luthor, Tracy Roberts as Darla, 
Note about Darla, this is her last appearance in the show, this episode. Jennifer Hawkins as Young Lena, and Denise Gossett as Lena Luthor, and Bob Sokola as the newscaster. And our synopsis is brought to you by Wikipedia. Lana appears in, Super- in Luthor's VR world just as Superboy, believing he is Luthor, is about to kill his parents with a bomb. Better say your prayers, folks, because it's all over now. I flip this little switch, and in three minutes, I'm in line for a whole lot of insurance money. You can't do this. It goes against everything you are. You don't know what I am. I know your heart. I don't care what these people did to you, but you can't kill them like he did. You're not Lex. Yes, I am! No, you're not. As soon as he acknowledges this, the program shuts down. Back at Luthor's lair, Darla now sees how truly crazy Lex is. You see, my darling, the moment that I read that you had died in that horrible crash, my world ended. So now I'm taking out the rest of the world with me. And then, the two of you can have it all to yourselves. Forever and ever. Stop it, Lex. Oh, come on, please, Darla. You're not gonna shoot me. You worship me, remember? Come on, nitwit. Give me the gun. Stop the countdown, Lex, or I'll shoot. I'm shaking in my boots. I gave you everything I've got, Lex. I've done things for you that I never thought I could do. But I am not going to stand by and let you wipe everything out. You mean uh, somewhere in that dim consciousness there lurks a noble soul? You're like a dog, darling. A street mongrel. You just take it and take it and take it. I love you. I didn't think you had it in you. Obviously. Stop the countdown, Lex. No can do. Once it started, no way to stop it. Might as well finish me off right now, darling. We're all gonna be nuclear dust soon enough. Detonation. She activates a hypersonic signal and Superboy follows it to the new lair. Meanwhile, Lana learns that Luthor's sudden death wish came about because his beloved Lena died in a car crash one week ago. Something's not right. What do you mean? Lena's car went off the bridge but they never found the body. So, the body was washed away. 
maybe. Why would she fake her own death? Think about it. If you were Lex Luthor's sister, wouldn't you want to put as many mouths between the two of you as possible? Hold it. Look at this. She had all of her utilities turned off the day before she died. Coincidence? Probably is. Or maybe this was left on the computer to trick us. It's just another one of Luther's traps. It's hopeless. Lana, you can never give up hope. Lana goes in search of Lena, who believes she is still alive somewhere. Luthor unleashes his android double to kill Superboy. The two fight as the countdown to destruction continues. Minutes before the bombs are about to go off, Lana arrives with now 23-year-old Lena, who may be able to talk Luthor down. Don't ever give up hope, We'll bust out the party hats. So glad you could make it, darling. We're planning to have a real blast. <laughs> How the hell did you find me? It was in your letters. Letters? What letters? The ones you wrote me. The place you begged me to come to. Your haven. Your bunker. Lead shielded underground where not even Superboy could find you. Lena. No, 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 I'm Lex. He's just a machine. But how can it be? What is that? Oh, that's you. One minute to detonation. But how? Stop the countdown. But you're alive. Stop the countdown, Lex. Lena, tell me what happened. Who did this? Who wanted me to believe that you were dead? I did. I hate you, Lex. What? Don't you understand? I hate you. You're a disease. You're a cancer. You're like a cancer on my life. Everything you touch, you kill. No. Everything you love. The only thing you love is yourself and death. No, nobody controls me, not father, not you, no one. I wanted my own life free of all of you. No one talks to Lex Luthor like that. No one! You're not Lex. Fifty. You're as much a machine as that thing is. Twelve. Eleven. Ten. Well, then you can just die, Eight, along seven, with everyone else. Six. No. Five, Code Genesis LX666. Six, 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 abort. Countdown aborted. Warhead disarmed. Lena. Please, don't leave me. I love you. I would never hurt you. I can be good. I promise. We'll be happy. Code LX0, terminate! We're... You said you couldn't stop the countdown. I lied. Leave. <laughs> the party's over, folks. Could you just get out? You were always such a brainless little twit. Just like all the rest. I never loved you. 
Let's get that arm looked at. I never loved. Sure, Lex. Whatever you say. So part two starts with with Lana trying to figure out a way to get Superboy out of Lex's psycho disc and out of Lex Luthor's uh, memories. <laughs> at least that's how we start. And uh, back at the underground lair, I love how Darla is hitting every button trying to get the countdown to stop. But she better be careful. She doesn't want to accelerate the countdown. I mean, how many times have we seen uh, in a, on TV or in a movie uh, somebody hits the wrong button? Clips the wrong wire, and instead of the countdown stopping, it accelerates. Don't want that, Darla. So, but Lex is very creepy with this android uh, of his kid sister. He's just kind of talking very lovingly to it. It's kind of uncomfortable. So uh, Darla points that out to Lex and gets choked for her trouble. Lex is even angrier now, getting more unhinged. And then, in, then she admits that Lex never loved her, that she's probably been in denial about Lex's feet true feelings toward her. I mean, there's no way he could possibly love her with the way he puts her down constantly. Of course, that's also Lex's way to make himself feel better by putting down others. So, inside the the VR world, Lana had less than 30 seconds to free Superboy and, I guess, stop him from killing Lex's parents. But this is what happened. It's not real. It's a simulation. But I guess the fact that this is such a crescendo in Lex's life that if Superboy were to act it out, it would freeze him in the in the time loop. So Superboy thinks he's Lex. Apparently seeing Lana is enough to shake Superboy and let him beat the programming. I guess love does conquer all. And they escape Luthor's simulation. <laughs> and I like the look of irritation on the face of the computer when they break free. And then the look of panic on the disembodied head when Superboy squashes it. Tell you, for a digital uh, device, it certainly had Lex Luthor's mannerisms down, at least his facial ones. So now they have to find Lena Luthor, and they uh, search the internet a little bit, and they find out that she's dead. Meanwhile, Darla is uh, shaking like a leaf. She's terrified, and she doesn't want to die. I mean, who does? You know, I'm still kind of creeped out by uh, Lex and the child uh, Lena Android. Again, as I'm taking my notes, I wondered if he could have created an adult Lena. I mean, maybe he could have used the newspaper picture as a as a guide. I mean, obviously, this entire plan of his... Came together very quickly, so because he learned of Lena's death, plenty of time. If he's going to build an android, he could have built an adult one, but nope. He built a child that he has to protect, which tells you what obligation Lex thinks he has for Lena. So now Darla is holding a gun on Lex to uh, get him to, t- to stop the countdown, and she's shaking, and, and I don't b- believe she's going to pull the trigger, and I know Lex doesn't believe it. I mean, she's trying to get Lex to disarm the bomb by holding the gun on him, but Lex has said repeatedly, that he doesn't care if he lives or dies. So shooting him, or threatening to shoot him for that matter, is really not going to accomplish anything. And Lex continues to uh, taunt Darla, and what happens uh, next, I believe, was an accident. He, she shoots him in the shoulder. And again, Darla tries to kind of extort this situation. I'll, you know, help your shoulder if you stop the countdown. Nope, he truly doesn't care. So. We get what might be the earliest I've ever seen of two people searching the internet together, November 1991. Okay, so here's what happened. 
Lena's car was found after it went over the side of a bridge, but the body was never found. Superboy seems a little dull here, with Lana showing all the brains, as he's a few steps behind, and she suggests her body just kind of washed away. Would it if she was trapped in the car? I guess the door or window could have ruptured and she was washed out, but wouldn't the car have been washed away as well? I don't know enough about river currents to be sure about that. But they suggest that she faked her death because she turned her utilities off the day before she died. That's thin. That is a really, really, really thin. And to be honest, I'm not even sure how that got in the paper. Unless the police, uh, you know, whenever we get stories like that, it's all from police reports. And just the fact that she turned her utilities off before she drove off the bridge isn't something that would show up in a police report right after the accident. And if it appeared to be an accident, they wouldn't have investigated her life like this to know that she turned off the utilities. So that's just convenience, I guess. That's a new story written for the sake of, of plot convenience. So Lana loses hope. I mean, we've got to be getting toward the toward the deadline here, and it's easy to lose hope, especially as everybody is looting. Uh, Superboy reminds her not to give up, and we're going to get a slow burn to a kiss as the music reaches a crescendo, and that would be fine if it was the first time that it happened. It's not. I kind of wonder if Brian Spicer has watched this show. I don't believe he's... I don't remember calling his name for any other episode. I mean, he's just playing a lot of things at first, but that aren't. But I guess that is what it is. So uh, the kiss that uh, they were sharing was rudely interrupted by Alexa's signal. That leaves Lana to find Lena. And after Superboy flies off, we get a nice rear projection shot of Superboy flying over the city. So Superboy follows the signal and expects to find Luthor. But instead, it's Darla. And she's no longer shaking. She's putting on an air of confidence. She doesn't feel nearly as confident as she looks right here. But, you know, she's putting it on. And she wasn't before with Lex, but... She's definitely uh, playing that out for Superboy as she blows some cigarette smoke out of her nose. Superboy is not buying her story and thinks it's a trap. He doesn't trust Darla, and to be totally honest, I wouldn't trust Darla either. Especially after the way things uh, went down before. So rioting and looting is going on. Uh, I mean, what else would you do if the world was under nuclear threat? Rioting and looting is very bad for the economy if you survive, you know. But I guess, you know, went under attack. You know, go crazy, I guess. So, Lana finds Lena, and here is a young Denise Gossett in her first role. She was uh, living in Orlando at this point in her life, and that's where the show was filmed, so I'm guessing that's how she got the gig. She didn't act for about 10 years after this, at least not on screen. And uh, despite getting shot, Lex looks chipper as ever. And then Superboy is going to uh, make the same mistake that Darla did. He thinks he's going to threaten Lex into disarming the bomb. And despite some toe-breaking, Lex refuses to disarm the bombs. And then Lex's android uh, wakes up and decides to choke Superboy out and throw him into a bunch of crates. The uh, android was foreshadowed in uh, part one. So apparently Lena left her return address on the order to shut off her utilities. So that's how Lana found Lena. She just uh, went to the address of the the request. The return address on the work order. A very uh, small oversight on uh, Lena's part, but she justifies that. By saying Lex wouldn't think of that because he doesn't think Lena is devious enough to try something like that. So Lena is trying to shake the ghost of Lex Luthor. She tries to hide who she is and people turn on her because she's Lex's sister. You know, they're, they are afraid that she may be just like him, but it's clear from what we see of her that she's not. And she just wants to run away from it all. But, you know, 
Sad to say, sometimes you can be uh, deemed guilty by association, and that is what's happening to Lena here, and she's sick of it. She wants to uh, get out from under the shadow of Lex Luthor, and who can blame her? But, you know, couldn't she have just gone to a judge and changed her surname? Wouldn't that have made things a lot easier? And in addition to people shutting her, the cops watch her plays in case Lex Luthor shows up there, and he writes to her about how the day will come that they can be together again, and... You know, at the moment, we don't yet know how Lena reacts to these things, but that'd be hard on her. And then Lena takes what Lana said the wrong way. And I think, I don't think Lana was blaming Lena for what Lex has done. I mean, it's not her fault. She bears no blame here, but Lena is resigned that to the Luthor legacy dying in ashes. And she just wants to run away. But Lana loses her patience with Lena here. And at the end of, after she calls Lex a monster and and maybe hits home with what Lena doesn't recognize or ignored. That Lex did protect her. Lana would know. She saw Lex's memories. And Lena won't look at Lana now. The telltale sign that she's affected by Lana's words. I mean, Lana's a pretty good motivational speaker. She got the jury to turn on Metallo last season, and she's getting Lena to confront Lex here. While all that's going on, Superboy is still getting beat down by the android, and when he yells out that, he lived out Lex's past, too. The android stops, kind of says, hey, what's the point? And Superboy will be dead, too, in the blast. So Superboy goes over to the uh, control panel, tries to punch it, but Lex points out that if he does that, it'll just destroy, it won't destroy the bomb. It'll just detonate him earlier. Darla feels hopeless, and that's when Lana comes in to save the day by echoing Superboy's never-give-up hope line. And as they come in, Sherman Howard is just partying it up. You know, his demeanor changes. He's... Just having all kinds of fun with his role. And it's a joy to see. And then, here's Lena. And uh, she's creeped out, not only by the Lex android standing next to him, but which is reacting just as Lex would. But then she sees the childlike version of herself up on the wall, where she asked what it is, then decided she didn't want to know. Lex is dumbfounded, still, even as Lena demands that he stop the countdown. But now the truth comes out. I mean, we've heard it before when he yelled at Darla, that Lena is the only person Lex Luthor ever loved. But then Lena comes out and says she hates him, which you can definitely understand why she feels that way. But this is probably not the best way to talk him down and get him to a disarm nuclear bombs. She calls him a disease and cancer on her life. She calls him selfish, which he is. But since she wanted to have her own life away from Luthor, Lex no longer cares if any of them live or die. I'll be honest, I didn't see that coming. While Lena's words did, as I predicted, only make him angry, I thought I figured it would happen as she was saying them. It did seem to have an effect on the android. And the android imports the countdown, telling us that Lex could have stopped the bombs anytime he wanted. So now the machine is begging Lena to stay in. We realize Lex. And then when the robot talks tenderly to Lena, he deactivates it. And even now, Lex can't admit that he ever loved Lena. And Lana doesn't buy it. And Superboy takes him to... Get his arm looked at as this two-parter ends. Kind of on a head-scratching note, if you ask me. I did note this before. This is the last appearance of, of Tracy Roberts as Darla. And this storyline kind of makes it easy to see why that would be the case. I'm not sure if, it, if it's, this was planned that way, but I think the events between uh, their last two appearances, Lex and Darla have kind of passed the point of no return. This was a decent two-parter. I, uh, you know, it, I really liked it when after I finished watching it, but it kind of lost some points as I thought about it over the 24 hours between watching it and recording. 
I liked the look in Alexis Origin in the first part. And I enjoyed the second part to an extent. But then it kind of falls apart when Lena announces that she hates Lex Luthor. That was not the reaction I was expecting. I mean, yes, her last name is Poison, and she carries it around like like an albatross around her neck. You know, in a perfect world, Lex's actions shouldn't affect her, but they do. You can definitely understand why she'd want to escape that cloud, but there are probably easier ways to do that than faking your own death. That's just kind of a dramatic in a cry for help. It's not her fault that Lex did what he did, but as far as the nuclear bombs, but her actions led to it indirectly, and I think she's disgusted by that fact. Now, I would have liked there to have been some, I don't know if I want to say tenderness, but maybe a little more, less vitriol between Lena and Lex. I mean, when you think about it, they're both survivors. Lex was made what he is because of what he shielded Lena from. And Lex took most of the damage, as we can see. But Lena's damaged as well. And I would have liked to have seen her actually talk Lex down. Instead of her screaming, I hate you. I would have liked her to explain to him what his actions have done to her life. And I thought that would have been a better way to end it. And then, if Lex loved her as much as he claimed he did, I think he would at least get that and let her go. Maybe. He might be the one person that he would allow that. Instead, when she gets an attitude with him, he barks back, you don't talk to Lex Luthor that way, and the whole thing just goes right off the rails very quickly. I believe Lena could have handled that better, and... And maybe she would have been able to talk him down. And letting her go would have been the one decent thing Lex could do. Instead, we get this. And we get the end of this episode. Next time, hell breaks loose and into the mystery. Till then, you want to leave feedback, so always welcome. Manscreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manscreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. Let's find the show on Twitter at Manscreencast and if you don't mind, why don't you do like Gore Tolton did and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps others find the show. Until next time, folks, we're on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.